Well, our psalm for this morning is Psalm 121, so I'd invite you to turn there with me at this time. Psalm 121, one of the most lucid statements of trust, trust in the entire Bible. So Psalm 121, I'll be reading from the ESV, and as you are able, friends, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Song of Ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You may be seated. Well, a couple years ago, as some of you know, I had the privilege of hiking Mount Katahdin uh, for the very first time. It's kind of initiation into being a Mainer, you could say. Um, And so after summiting at Baxter Peak, you know, we took our obligatory peak pics. I was with the Langworthies, and so you could see some of those on Facebook. Uh, After summiting there, we made our way to Pomola Peak, and so we hiked across what's called the Knife Edge. Not the Knife's Edge, I have been informed that it is Knife Edge, so I've immediately lost all credibility. Um, No, the Knife Edge. And so for almost an hour, and I can put some pictures up here, you can see the Knife Edge, this is probably a better one. For almost an hour, we walked along this crest, which connects these two mountain peaks, with our path narrowing at times to just a few feet. Now, apparently since 1933, so about 90 years, there have been at least 60 deaths at Mount Katahdin. 60. And many of those deaths have resulted from falls from the knife's edge. So, teetering along this mile-high ridge with, at the time, sun beating down on our back, I can imagine what the psalmist means when he says, he will not let your foot be moved. Life, as I've said before, life to ancient Israelites was imagined as a journey, a long walk one would take from birth Till death. So perhaps on this journey you move from refreshing oasis or seashore through lush garden or forest. Maybe along the way you pass through a quaint village, a bustling city, a rural farmstead. You hear the birds singing, feel the breeze blowing, and so forth. But that's only part 
part of the journey. At other times during this journey we call life, we find ourselves not in lush garden, not in quaint village, but in parched wilderness. The sun beating down on our backs, jagged mountain peaks all around. A young parent with several small children whose spouse works. The kids are sick, the parent is sick, stressed, overwhelmed, needs help. A recent divorcee, life shaken, world flipped upside down, looking for a new beginning. They need help. A man with mental health struggles, on the brink of losing health insurance, disability checks, anxiety, fear, inflamed by it all, he needs help. I lift my eyes to the hills, up from the dust of the ground to the ominous mountain peaks. From where does my help come? Will help ever come? We could spend all day and the next in this psalm. Unfortunately, I can't do that. I would be fired, I believe. Uh, Maybe not, but I'm at least going to spend the rest of our time this morning walking through it. So that is my plan. But before we do that, friends, let's take a moment to pray. Lord Jesus, you who dwelt in the safety and bliss of heaven from eternity past, you became dust like us. You lived your life both in and as dust, and you too faced many times when you looked up from the ground and cried for help. Jesus, we need you this morning more than ever. Please guide us through this poem. Help us to experience what the psalmist experienced in writing it. And lead us to you in your life-giving presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 121, verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? We're thrown right into the action, friends. And this verb, to lift, it describes action that is in progress. And so the psalmist is recounting an experience from within the experience. An experience that's currently unfolding, zoomed in, it's moving, viewed from within. So I am lifting, I'm in the process of lifting my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Now the hills, in this poetic imagery, the hills signify danger and unpredictability. You could translate this mountains. And thinking of life as a journey, hiking through these mountains, these ridges, was dangerous. 
Uh, it, it was a desperate situation. Uh, it often caused fear and anxiety. Some interpret this to mean you are lifting your eyes to this heavenly source of help. That could be what's going on, but I think more likely is the fact that the psalmist is all day, every day, just looking down at the dust, trying to make his way through the difficulties of life. And the moment that he gets enough courage and strength to look up, all he sees are these ominous mountain peaks. And so he voices this question that all those in dire straits want to ask and do ask, will help ever come? I don't think here the psalmist knows that help will come and is just asking where it'll come from. I think this is a desperate question. Will help ever come? And if so, from where? Friends, how many times in life have you asked a similar question? Perhaps overwhelmed by bills, crises, illness, weather. Everything is going wrong. You feel like you just can't catch a break. And so like the psalmist, it takes all your strength to just look up from those difficulties, to ask for help, and all you see are these ridges and peaks. Help. I need help. Well, the word that ends, verse 1, literally it's, from where comes my help, is the very same word that begins verse 2. From where comes my help? My help from with Yahweh, is what it says. The question that the psalmist asks that we've all asked at one time or another, is immediately answered, my help from with Yahweh. Now, I translate it like that because there's no verb, no verb here. In the first verse, it's, uh, from where does my help come? Here, it's literally, my help from with Yahweh. The idea is there's no act of beginning or moving, completing, waiting. Help is not on its way. It exists forever, is always accessible to us, both in and, I would say, as the presence of God. The psalmist's help, then, is not out there in the distance coming. It's already here. And here we get creation, who made heaven and earth. Now, the psalmist could have chosen any number of traits to include here to describe God, but he chooses God as creator. I think the idea is that the psalmist, overwhelmed by the, the dustiness of life, and then overwhelmed by the, the mountainous, dangerous nature of life, looks to the creator of both the mountains and the dust for help. But friends, I tend to get fixated on my own little world, my problems, my circles, neighborhood, and so forth. Do you find yourself, like the psalmist, like me, getting stuck 
in these seasons of life where you're just looking down trying to make it through. We get exasperated, overwhelmed and anxious by the, the unpredictable realities of our, our little worlds. But God is the maker of all worlds, not just the dust that we're looking at throughout the day, but even those mountain ridges and peaks, all of those environments along life's journey, God is creator of it all. And so I, like the psalmist, often get fixated and and stuck in my little world And we need to lift our eyes and remember that God is the creator of all worlds. Verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Now think back to the knife's edge here, and I can bring it up on the screen. This ridgeline connecting two peaks at least 5,000 feet up in the air, at least at points. Now, ancient Israelites knew mountains much taller than Katahdin. Mount Hermon, uh, for one, was 9,200 feet. Mount Sinai, about 7,500. And this image of the hike, or a kind of mountain-like season in life, was often used to describe these difficult or, or tumultuous periods of life. The idea is here that during those seasons, when you feel like you're, you're tottering on the edge of disaster, Yahweh will not let you slip. And here we get the language of keeping, he who keeps you. Now, I can't help but think of the language of spotting in bouldering, rock climbing, or serious hiking, um, and even the language of belaying in top rope climbing. Now, my house was right next to a rock climbing gym growing up, and so I did a lot of rock climbing growing up. I think my parents got the pass to just uh, do away with me at times, but it was great. Um, And so in order to belay, In order to wear the harness and and belay someone climbing, you had to pass a test at this rock climbing gym. And so you had to prove that you were skilled enough to work the equipment and vigilant and reliable enough to not let the climbers fall. And so I passed the test, you know, but sometimes I'd be belaying friends who were really good climbers and consistent and would uh, rarely ever fall. And so they're up on the wall and I'm watching them and then I'm seeing that they're not having any difficulty, and I'd start to space out, think about other things, as uh, teenagers sometimes do. Um, And on a number of occasions, the climber missed a hold and fell. (laughs) And I'm jolted into action. Immediately, I have to kick it into gear. And luckily, on those occasions, they didn't get injured. Friends, Yahweh is nothing like that. He never sleeps, never spaces out. He's never thinking of other things. Yahweh, the God of glory, prides himself, and he can do that, 
He prides himself not for being the the conqueror of Israel, but the keeper, the spotter, the belayer of Israel. His dignity depends on it. Verse 4, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Added to this word slumber in verse 3 is now the word sleep to emphasize the fact that the Lord is infinitely, eternally vigilant as belayer of our souls. Now connected to this language of spotting and keeping is the language of shepherding. Time and again, especially in the Psalms, the people of Israel are called the sheep of God's pasture. God is shepherd. He nurtures and protects his sheep. And so as we, like Israel, as we move along the the knife's edge of life, the Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps. He doesn't space out. He doesn't think of other things. Like I said before, his glory, his eternal glory depends on never, ever letting us fall. The Lord is your keeper, verse 5. Again, your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The third person here, he who keeps Israel, now changes to the second person. He who keeps you, your keeper. And friends, this is not y'all. It's almost always y'all in Hebrew literature. This is you. You, you, singular. The psalmist is speaking directly to you. This individual reader, listener. He looks directly at you and says, Do not fear. The Lord will not let you fall. Added to this belaying image is now the image of a shade covering perhaps a tent or an awning or even a tree. There are two prophets in the Old Testament, Elijah and Jonah, uh, who at times in their lives are so fed up with the difficulties of life that they say, enough is enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm done. I'm done. They're baking in the hot sun, the heat of life, And they're about to expire. And in both occasions, the Lord provides shade. He leads Elijah to a tree, or as it were, Elijah is resurrected and led to Mount Sinai, meets Elisha. And Jonah is blessed with this plant, this tree that gives him shade in his time of distress. The Lord is your shade and your keeper. Now, I can't help but think of a shade as also a covering from your enemies. As people would live in broad daylight, they would journey out in the open. They were often at risk of being robbed, of being overtaken. I can't help but think of the Lord of the Rings here. I know I have some Tolkien lovers in the group. Um, 
I believe it's in the Two Towers, the second book, where these two hobbits, Samwise and Frodo, are, are journeying, just like this. They're journeying from Bag End all the way to Mordor, this shadow land, this land of evil. And there's a scene where they get right up next to the gate of Mordor. These two hobbits in broad daylight, and there's all of these enemies right there. And Frodo's cloak functions as a shade. It covers them, conceals them from enemy eyes. Friends, do you ever feel like you are living in broad daylight? Like your life is under the oppressive heat of the sun? In view of all the world, all of your your enemies, your, your struggles? If so, the Lord is your shade covering, especially in times like these. Verse 6. It says, The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. In the baking heat of midday, The psalmist says, the sun will not strike you. I've been to Israel in April. It wasn't really summer, um, but we spent some time near the Dead Sea, and it was hot. And at times in the year, especially in the summer months, it can get up to 110 degrees Fahrenheit in Palestine. So to be traveling under the heat of the sun at midday, even with ample food and water, it was dangerous. It was seriously dangerous. The sun at that moment was not your helper, but your enemy. It says, the Lord will not let the sun strike you. He will not let it destroy you. Related to this is the idea of being moonstruck. Now, we don't think of this so often today, but in antiquity, there were uh, superstitions around uh, being out at midnight, perhaps with a full moon. Uh, lunar, it's related to the word lunatic, uh, as uh, Louise helpfully mentioned this week to me, lunacy and lunar, and this idea that being caught under the rays of the moon, especially during certain phases would cause madness. And you think of legends around werewolves and being out at midnight and so forth, but people believed that the moon was dangerous. And the psalmist here plays on that idea and says, the moon, the moon will not strike you by night. We have these extremes of exhaustion and heat stroke and madness And the Lord will protect us from both. But we also have these extremes of being out in the open before enemy eyes during the day and being caught in the darkness, being uh, liable, vulnerable to evil which lurks in the shadows. The Lord will keep us from both. Verse 7. It says, The Lord will keep you from all evil, He will keep your life. The poet here abandons figurative language entirely, which itself is a very powerful move. 
The Lord will keep you from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This psalm assures us that Yahweh will. He will. He will keep your life. In verse 7, it says the Lord will keep you, but the idea is intensified here. The language is your soul, your life, your heart. The Lord will keep your life. It's easy to picture a human being shepherding sheep, right? It's easy to picture a human being spotting or belaying a climber. But can you imagine the Lord shepherding or belaying your soul? Picture that. The Lord never slumbering nor sleeping. Our souls are flitting and fleeting about, being pulled to and fro by the world and its forces, and God is shepherding keeping our souls. That's what he's doing right now. And finally, in verse 8, the Lord will keep. It's the sixth occurrence of this word in just eight verses. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Going out and coming in is a very common way to talk about life and all of its activities. So you would leave the day or leave the house in the morning and go about your day, and you would come back in at night, everything in between. I think you can also imagine leaving or going out of the womb at birth, journeying through life and entering the earth at death. It says the Lord will keep us. He will shepherd us, belay us, spot us, protect us during all of life's journeys, trials, travails, our goings out and our comings in, all of it. Friends, we will face desert-like periods in life. We will face mountain climbs, walks along the knife's edge. Some of us right now are experiencing such seasons. I know it. We will be caught in the middle of the night at risk of being moonstruck. Our feet tottering, our eyes fixated on the dust. But Yahweh will keep those who trust in him from falling, from expiring, from being utterly overwhelmed by the difficulties of this life. He will. Ancient Israelites trusted Yahweh. At least some of them did. They really did. But Christians have all the more reason to trust. 
Friends, God has made his keeping, his, his spotting explicit and embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. The help that Yahweh offers is available to any and all who trust in Christ. And when I say trust, I don't mean perfect, doubt-free, certain and firm belief in the abstract, no. What I mean is, lifting your eyes, seeing Jesus on the knife's edge in front of you, and taking the risky steps of following Him. Following Jesus is trusting Yahweh. It is. And those who trust will always have a keeper. Always have a spotter. But let me say it again. Trusting does not mean sitting at the bottom of the mountain. Believing that he can, he can protect us if we were to climb. No. It means taking one step. And then another, and then another, walking, even slowly, behind one who leads us along the knife's edge to the other side. I am lifting my eyes to the hills, crying, from where, from where does my help come? My help is Jesus, Savior of heaven and earth. Not letting your lives be lost, never sleeping, He is your shepherd. Behold, neither dozing nor sleeping, He is the shepherd of the flock. Jesus guards you from evil. He is guarding your very souls. So from where does my help come, you ask? From Jesus. It comes from Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, our salvation, stir us this morning. Stir us from our fixation on the difficulties of life, difficulties that have immobilized us at times. And help us, Lord, to stand up, to take one step and another and another, and to walk behind you, our Lord and Savior. Please, Lord, walk up and down these aisles this morning as we partake of your supper together. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.